Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Well, today we are going to be in the Gospel of Luke. That is the second book in the New Testament. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers are coming down the aisle. They'll be glad to give you one. That can be yours to keep if you have need of one. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4. As you're turning there, uh, let me give you a little context so you can better understand what is happening. In Jesus' day, Jews worshipped in a synagogue as they do today. Synagogue could be established if there were at least 10 males in a community who would step forward to provide leadership. And every male in the synagogue, every grown male, was given the privilege on a particular Sunday of reading from the scroll, the Torah, the Old Testament. Jesus is just about to begin his public ministry. Scholars point to this particular episode as the formal beginning of his ministry. And to do so, he goes to his home synagogue. And on that particular day, he is given the privilege of reading from the scroll. Chapter 4, picking up in verse 16. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the opportunity we have to come into your house today to worship and lift up your Son, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray now that as we turn our attention to your Word, your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In the fall of 1969, I was in the second grade at Lake City Elementary School in Forest Park, Georgia. My teacher was Miss Carolyn Allen, dear sweet lady from Mississippi. Sweet as she was though, uh, Miss Allen ran a tight ship. No shenanigans going on in her class. And that was fine with me. I wasn't a big troublemaker, so we we got along okay. One day, though, as I was seated at my desk doing whatever assignment she had given us, I heard Miss Allen speaking in unusually harsh tones. She said, you two, you two boys, come up here to my desk. Well, I wasn't even going to bother to look up because I knew she wasn't talking to me, sitting there doing my work. But I was curious to see who was getting in trouble. So I looked up, and lo and behold, Miss Allen is looking right at me. 
and I kind of looked over my shoulder to see if maybe she was staring past me, but when I turned back around, no, she's looking right at me. And then, to my utter shock and surprise, she says, Danny Slagle, you and Timmy Atkins, come up here to my desk right now. I got up from my desk in a complete state of shock and made my way to her desk, not knowing what on earth is happening. Meanwhile, she's scribbling out a note, and when she finishes, she hands it to Timmy, and she says, I am so disappointed in you boys. Take this to Mr. Johnson. Well, she could not have said anything more fearful than for me to go to Mr. Johnson's office. He was our principal, and every kid at Lake City Elementary knew that to go to Mr. Johnson's office meant one thing and one thing only, and that was certain death. <laughs> but I dutifully went, Timmy and I walking up the hallway together, and my attempts to try to figure out what I had done wrong were futile because she had written the note in cursive, and we had not yet learned how to read and write in cursive. I'm terrified, but we go into the office and there sat Miss Lloyd, the school secretary. It's funny how these details from certain events stick in your mind, but we gave her the note and she buzzed Mr. Johnson and a few minutes later, he came walking out, took the note, looked it over, looked up at us and said, my goodness, I can't believe you two boys. Get in here to my office. We followed him in there and the next thing you know, Pow, pow, pow. He's paddling our behinds to beat the band. Then he says, are you boys ever going to do that again? No, sir, I squeaked. I had no idea what I was promising to never do again, but I assured him I would never do it again. And you know, to this day, I still have no earthly idea <laughs> what I did. Now, some might think the worst part of that whole experience was the paddling, and it, it was plenty bad. I didn't want another one of those, but that wasn't the worst of it. Really, the, the worst was that singular moment when I looked up and realized that Miss Allen was looking at me. Like, who, me? Me? Are you kidding? Have you ever had an experience like that? Maybe not in the second grade, but just... One of those moments you're caught unawares, the crosshairs of justice have nailed you and you're just like, me? No way. It's not fun. It is not a pleasant experience at all. It gives one sort of a sinking feeling. Well, I had a, another one of those experiences just here recently. As a matter of fact, it took place as I was preparing this message. Some Weeks ago, I was uh, reading through this text, studying it, meditating on it rather carefully. And uh, to help you understand how this whole thing unfolded, I've got this table and stools here. You see, heretofore, I had always read that passage with the mindset that Jesus and I were on the same side. Jesus and Pastor Dan, Batman and Robin, Lone Ranger and Tonto, I mean, we're like this. And when he says, 
I've come to proclaim good news to the poor and liberty for the captives and sight for the blind. I'm thinking, yes, Lord, just tell me what to do. I'm your man. I'm on your side. Let's go get them. But this time, as I'm reading the text, I begin to detect that I'm no longer seated over there, but rather I'm seated here. And Jesus is not saying these words to some group of people out here. No, he's speaking them right at me. And my initial response was, who, me? What? I mean, hey, I'm Pastor Dan, remember? You know, Batman, Robin, we're on the same team. But the longer I lived with that passage, the more I could see quite clearly, no, he was speaking right to me. He was speaking into the poverty of my soul. He was speaking into my captivity, the things that I have given myself over to. He was, in fact, speaking to my blindness. And it was not fun. It was not pleasant. But I knew that he had his reasons, and I knew that his reasons were good, because he's always good. And I came away from that experience convicted about my own soul, but convinced also that I'm not the only person for whom he has this message. I left that experience convinced that this was what he wanted me to share with you because many of you are living right now in a poverty of soul. Many of you are finding yourselves held captive to things that are not good for you and you don't really want to be held captive. Many of you are living in blindness and in darkness, not able to see the things that really matter, particularly the things that really matter to Jesus. While I was in seminary, I participated in a seminar that focused on ministry to the poor. And it was a very hands-on experience. We went to homeless shelters, uh, visited with other uh, communities that were impoverished, spent a lot of time talking to people, learning about what was effective, what was not effective. And at one point, the professor answered a question that I had always had, that had only been reinforced in this particular experience. At one point, he said to us, now, some of you may have observed that many of the poor that we are ministering to are overweight. And that might strike you as a little odd, thinking if they're poor, they probably don't have access to food. But the fact of the matter is, they don't have access to good food, to nutritious, fresh food. That is expensive. That does not keep, and they don't have anywhere to put it. And so they have to exist on processed foods, on carb-centric foods, those things that will last and last and last, but are terrible for your nutrition, terrible for your health. 
You eat enough of that and only that, and you are going to wind up overweight. You are going to wind up malnourished. You are going to wind up with a compromised immune system, susceptible to all sorts of bugs that are out there. And in a similar fashion, I think many of us are living in spiritual poverty because we have chosen to live off of spiritual junk food. You know, the scriptures are clear. Jesus said of himself, I am the bread of life. I am living water. I can supply your every need and everything about me will be good for you. And he puts a spread before us, a veritable banquet of his goodness, of his love, his kindness, his mercy, all of the things that he wants to pour into our lives. But for some reason, we are so easily satisfied with junk. I think part of the reason is because our lives are so full and so busy that we push Jesus to the margins. And he comes last. Work and family and parenting and taxiing and selfish sin and all the rest come first. And Jesus just sort of gets the leftovers of our time. A nod and a wink at best. Maybe a prayer on the way to work or thinking about what I should be doing, hoping that the sermon will give me something to live off of for the week. But in essence, it's just junk food. It's not anything that's really good for our souls. And all the while, Jesus, I think, sits there and looks at us across the table, scratches his head and wonders, why are you eating this paltry stuff? Why are you willing to settle for less? Why are you neglecting our relationship? Why are you prioritizing other things in your life when I could be every single thing that you need? And as a result, we find ourselves malnourished spiritually. And we find our immune system, our ability to withstand temptation, compromised because we're eating junk. We're feasting on what the world has to put before us, not what Jesus desperately wants to give us. My own spiritual poverty was confirmed through something that happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my wife Becky and I went shopping for a car, which is an experience that both of us utterly detest. It's just draining. Uh, you know, we drove all over town. We're kicking tires. We're haggling. We're talking. It just was not pleasant. And uh, tension began to grow the longer that we were out shopping to the point that when we got home and pulled in the driveway, uh, we were not living in marital happy land. I can tell you that. And then Becky said something to me that I thought was uh, rather unhelpful. And then I said something to her that in 21 years of marriage, I've never said before. I looked at her and I said, shut up. Just shut up. Now maybe you're thinking, is, is that all, really? I mean, is that the worst of it? Well, I've said plenty of terrible things to my wife, but let me give you a little personal perspective, my view 
of that phrase, shut up. From my perspective, to tell someone to shut up is to utterly discount them as a human being. I don't care what you have to say. I don't care that you're here. It wouldn't bother me if you disappeared. It is about as devaluing of someone else as one can possibly be. And here is the human being, the one human being in the world that I stood before God and said, I would love, honor, and cherish all the days of my life. And I've just said to them, shut up. I discount you. What more proof did I need of my spiritual poverty? What more proof did I need that I was sitting on the wrong side of the table? How about you? As you examine your own life and your own walk with Jesus, your own relationship with Jesus, which is often reflected in your relationships with other people, your ability to resist temptation, your faithfulness to the things of God. When you think about those things, where do you see yourself sitting? Are you in fact over here feasting on the abundance that Jesus promises? I've come that you might have life and have it in all of its abundance. Or are you settling for the junk, the junk of busyness and distraction and most anything? except spending time with him. The inevitable result is spiritual poverty. And spiritual poverty really is just a step or two away then from spiritual captivity. Spiritual captivity. Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. I'm sitting here and I'm wondering, okay, Lord, You've convinced me that I'm spiritually poor, but what on earth could I be captive to? Well, it didn't take long. There are any number of forces out there that would like to take us captive. Don't kid yourself. Don't think that this is just a neutral world. No, there are spiritual forces that do not like you, that would like nothing better than to see your life destroyed. And they're looking for that opportunity. And as long as we are over on this side of the table, we are safe. Jesus has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one to which one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But when we come over on this side of the table, we are alone. And we have nothing to depend upon except our own finite resources, which run out like that. Lots of things that want to take us captive. I've noticed that in our culture, there seem to be two forces that are rather predominant. And the first of those is fear. Fear. It is pervasive in our society. And the particular type of fear that seems to cut across all demographics, regardless of age, race, gender, station in life, whatever the case may be, the kind of fear that I see over and over is the fear of failure. Am I going to make it in my chosen vocation? Am I going to be able to pay the bills? 
Is my marriage going to survive? My health, will it fail? My parenting, am I doing a good enough, are my children gonna grow up to be okay or have I failed them too? And on and on and on it goes. And while these things may not come up and grab us right on the wrist, like a pair of handcuffs, they are always right there on the periphery of our conscience. And when our mind is not otherwise distracted, they have a way of just sort of swooping in. And for just a moment, we wonder, is this gonna be okay? Is that gonna be okay? Have I covered this? Is that gonna be all right? And before you know it, we're completely encircled by these things. They hold us in captivity. My particular experience with fear of failure has typically revolved around my ability to provide for my family. From time to time, I find myself wondering, am I going to be able to perform at a level that is acceptable, that will justify my position? Is someone else going to come along who will outshine me, thereby making me superfluous to what goes on? Will I be able to pay my bills? Will I be able to pay for the college tuition and the weddings and the retirement that are coming ever faster into my life? And it can be so easy for me to get caught up in these things. And before I know it, I have willingly willingly handed over the freedom that I have in Jesus, the freedom that comes by living through faith, trusting him to take care of me because he said that he would. Your heavenly father knows that you need these things. I willingly trade that for captivity to my fears. That is not a fun way to live. It is, in fact, a most foolish way to live. Freedom, security, fear, anxiety, what is it going to be? The other force beyond fear that is more than willing and quite ready to take hold of our lives is our stuff, our possessions. Like no other culture in the history of the world, we produce, have access to, consume more stuff than anybody who has gone before us. And all the while we think, oh, that's my stuff. I own that. I bought this. It's mine. Before we know it, though, it owns us. Because you see, as a culture, by and large, we have bought into the lie that more is better. And that the only way to have a meaningful, purposeful, fulfilled life is to make more money. The more money, the better. The more money I have, the more stuff I can buy and the higher quality stuff that I can buy. Of course, all stuff needs to be maintained. So I have to earn yet more money to look after my stuff. And eventually we have so much stuff that we don't have anywhere to put it. So we've got to build bigger and bigger barns to put our stuff in. Countless minutes, 
hours, weeks of our lives are spent looking after our great stuff that we own. What owns you? What role does stuff play in your life? Are you satisfied sitting over here with stuff? Or would you rather be sitting over here with the one who promises life that will outlast every single bit of stuff we ever managed to collect? I have a friend from a third world country who several years ago visited the United States for the very first time. His name's Solomon. And I was quite eager to hear about Solomon's first impressions because he had never been anywhere outside of his country. So while he was here on his trip, I managed to get a hold of him by phone. Solomon, brother, how are you? So good to hear from you. Are you enjoying your stay in our country? Oh, it is amazing. I've never seen anything like it. Tell me, what, what are your impressions? Three things. I said, number one, I can't get over how clean it is. People actually take their garbage and throw it in a can. They don't just throw it on the ground. And the traffic, oh my goodness. He said, much, much more traffic than in my country. But here's the thing, everybody goes in a straight line. Everybody obeys the traffic signals. It is remarkable. But the third thing he said, I cannot help but notice that on almost every street corner, there are these things that you call storage facilities. Because you don't have enough room in your home to store your stuff. So you've got to go and pay money for more room to store your stuff. He was astonished, flabbergasted, really. Guilty as charged. To what end? To what end is this stuff? If the Lord doesn't come back first, all of our stuff is gonna outlast us. There's gonna come a day when we won't have access to it anymore. But even later on, all of that stuff is going to burn. It won't last into eternity. Only the things of God last into eternity. And only the gifts that he gives to us are going to be eternally enjoyed. And they do not hold us captive. They give to us freedom. Freedom to live. Freedom to be freedom to grow and become the man or the woman that God created us to be. And yet how many of us are content to sit over here and play around with our silly stuff? And all the while Jesus is wondering, don't you want what I have for you? Don't you understand how much infinitely more valuable it is? We're poor we're in captivity and we're blind. We're at least blind to the things of God. We have on blinders. We are 
so enamored of our stuff and we're so fearful of the future and we're so fixated on spiritual junk food that we can't see what really matters. And you know what really matters in God's economy? Other people. We are blinded to the spiritual, physical, emotional needs of other people because we are fixated on our stuff, our situation. We can't see other people because we're seated on this side of the table and our back is to the needs of other people. It breaks God's heart. It breaks his heart to see his children, his sons and daughters living in spiritual blindness. But he is wrecked. He is undone when he sees his sons and daughters blindness perpetuating and causing misery for others. Because we're so wrapped up in our own stuff, we don't know, we don't understand, we choose to forget that not seven miles from the Klein campus, not five miles from the Woodlands campus are children who don't have enough to eat, who don't own a decent pair of shoes, who are moved from pillar to post because their hardworking parents can't earn enough money to pay the rent. But we don't notice that because our back is to them as we sit here focused on our stuff. And God is wrecked. We are to be Jesus' hands and feet. We are to be his agents in this world. We are to be the living representative of what he wants to do in people's lives. And yet our blindness has rendered us completely incapable of doing all that he has called us to do for the good of others. I want to know today where are you sitting? Are you sitting here with your back to desperation all around? Or are you seated here with Jesus, able to see all that he sees and have your heart break over the things that break his heart? It's our choice. We get to choose. Anything good about sitting on this side of the table? One thing. When you're seated on this side of the table, the one good thing is that Jesus is looking at you. And you know what? He's not looking at you with eyes of anger or rejection or disgust. In verse 19, he says, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I am for you. I want you on that side of the table. Pastor Dan, how am I going to get there? I'll show you. That is our ticket to the other side. Because when God looked down and saw us in our lostness, in our poverty, our captivity, our blindness, he knew we would never be able to find our way to the other side. But there was one who could, the Lord Jesus. And he came and he lived a life, a sinless life, something that none of us could ever hope to do. And then he said to his father, I'll pay that price they could never pay. I'll go to the cross. And the father accepted the payment and three days later validated it by raising his son from the dead. And anyone 
who accepts that gift is welcome to come and sit with Jesus. Where are you sitting today? Let's pray. Father, we confess to you that uh, it is so easy to get caught up in the tide of our culture, to become enamored of the silliest things, and to think that any of them could be a suitable replacement for you. Lord, forgive us. Thank you for inviting us back to the other side of the table. If you're here today and you've heard this invitation for the first time, if this is new news for you, I want to encourage you to accept the invitation. Say yes to Jesus. He's ready to receive you as his own. And if you're like me, and this is the umpteenth time you found yourself on the wrong side of the table, know that he forgives. Thank you, Father, for your invitation. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us all grace to respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Hello and welcome to Postscript. My name is Adam McIntyre and I am joined today by Pastor Dan Slagle who just preached a sermon titled, Who? Me? Dan, thank you so much for being here with us today. Sure. Uh, so one of my favorite parts of your sermon was your illustration where you had Jesus on one side of the table and then you suddenly woke up and found yourself to be on the other side of the table right. and that specifically his passage uh, from Luke 4 was all of a sudden aimed directly at you. And that was kind of an eye-opening experience for sure. you. Um, and some people had some questions about that illustration. Okay. Uh, one person wrote in and they said, so um, if we ever have a snappy comeback to our spouse uh, or something like that, does that mean that suddenly we're out of fellowship with Jesus, that suddenly we're on the other side of the table? Uh, wanted to see what you thought about that. Well, uh, it, if we're being unkind to our spouse, I would say to some degree, yes, we're out of fellowship with Jesus. Sure, I mean, yeah. at a minimum, we're needing to seek his forgiveness. Right. Um, I was simply trying to communicate that all of us have experiences in our lives that should tell us, I'm not living like I should be living. I, I'm not in good fellowship with the Lord right now. Right. And for me, in that particular instance, it was telling Becky to shut up. That yeah. was set off the alarm bells. And, and conversely, uh, if, even when you're on the right side of the table, that doesn't mean you're immune right. from doing bad things. Uh, I, simply using the table as a vehicle to illustrate that sometimes we're keeping in step right. with the Spirit and sometimes we're not. Right. Well, that's why it's so important to, I think, remind yourself constantly of Jesus' words over and over and over again. Uh, even if you're not entirely sure which side of the table yeah. you're on, uh, you always need to refresh those words uh, yeah. over and over again. Uh, and then another question was, uh, someone was asking, so if you're on the other side of the table, 
um, and Jesus is one looking at you, mm -hmm. does that mean then that you are not saved anymore? Uh, like, yeah. what, what does that mean exactly? Uh, well, no. In this instance, uh, it certainly does not mean that you have lost your salvation. Right. Again, the point of the table and the opposing views was to communicate the posture of our stance toward Jesus at different times in our life. Right. There are times when I am walking with him, when I want to hear what he has to say, I am obeying him, I am in his word, I'm fellowshipping with his people. Uh, we are in tune, mm -hmm. represented by same side of the table. Right. But there are times in my life where I'm not listening to him and Absolutely. I'm not being obedient. I'm not yeah. in the word or, or anything else. And the uh, object lesson simply was sometimes Jesus has to say a hard word right. to us. No, none of us is above that. And thank goodness he does. Right. Yeah. Sometimes he has to snap us awake. Yeah. But once we're in Christ, there's nothing that can separate That's us right. from him. That's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. And then you also made a comment in your sermon about... Uh, spiritual junk food, uh, mm -hmm. things that most of us uh, gravitate towards that are not necessarily healthy versus um, spiritual nourishment that can actually um, grow us spiritually. Can you define a little bit more what you mean by spiritual junk sure. food? Sure, yeah. It, it is the, the things that we substitute for what Jesus wants to provide. Okay. Uh, for example, uh, we're feeling sad. Mm. Uh, Jesus wants to be our comforter. Right. Scripture's clear about that. But uh, sometimes we look for something else to give us a boost, you know, three or four glasses of wine, mm -hmm. a trip to the refrigerator, yeah. uh, you know, wh what have you, anything that's just gonna, ah, okay, now I feel better. Right. Well, there's nothing evil about wine, there's nothing evil about the refrigerator, but when they become a substitute mm -hmm. for Jesus, then that's junk food. Right. Uh, Sometimes we're feeling lonely. Mm -hmm. And instead of seeking fellowship with him, uh, some men resort to finding fellowship on a computer screen, yeah. a pornographic image, mm -hmm. which isn't even real. Right. And yet yeah. in their minds, they believe, you know, that this is somehow uh, eliminating my loneliness. In fact, it's just making it worse. Right. Um, some people feel deprived. They, get to a place in their lives where they feel like they've missed out, they don't have the blessings, whatever, mm -hmm. so I'm just gonna go buy me something. Right, <laughs> yeah. And Jesus is like, why, why are you spending your money? I've got what's free right. for you. Um, so those kinds of things that in and of themselves are not necessarily evil, uh, except of course in the case of pornography. Right. Um, that we turn to and essentially make an idol of. We're expecting it to do for us what only Jesus can. Exactly. We, we, uh, are, we satisfy ourselves with these short-term uh, luxuries or whatever it is that yeah. ultimately um, don't last and they make us even more unhealthy uh, when really we, we need to be turning yeah. uh, to Christ. I heard a, a preacher say just a couple of days ago at a conference I was attending that when, when you give the Lord free reign in your life, mm -hmm the first thing he's going to come after are the idols right. in your life. And I got to thinking about the Ten Commandments and remembered that's also the first commandment. Sure is, you, yeah. you know, that is the thing that comes between us and, and puts us on the other side of the table. So, uh, yeah, Jesus is 
got exactly what we need, That's right. as much as we need, and it's all free. That's right. Well, Dan, thank you so much uh, yeah. for being here with us, and thank you all for tuning in. We will see you all next week. Thanks for joining us for PostScript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org postscript.